Good morning. Good morning. Again. <laughs> Welcome everybody. And thanks for showing up. Um, there's this story at the end of the Genjo Koan. Uh, um, Zen master mom, one of the monks asks, well, the wind is permanent. Why are you fanning yourself? And Mayu says, um, well, you may understand that the, the wind is permanent, but you don't understand that it's everywhere. And the monk says, well, uh, explain that to me. And the Zen master just starts fanning himself again. So when I say thanks for showing up, it is true that our Sangha is everywhere. And no one, nothing is left out of the Sangha. But you have to show up. You don't understand what it means that everyone is a member of a Sangha unless you show up. So I'm very grateful for you showing up today and those on Zoom showing up to the extent that they can as well. We are exploring, once again, precepts. In this case, um, what are called engaged Buddhist precepts, which are really the same as any other precept that we call Buddhist clear mind precepts. Yet they're more, they have a more specific um, reference. We, we get more specific when we, when we talk about engaged precepts. How do these precepts play out in our everyday lives? And the first one that we're taking a look at is the precept of avoiding holding to fixed views. Now it's, <laughs> is that funny? <laughs> um, it really is not possible to avoid having a view because wherever we stand, we are looking in a certain direction. However, we're living, we have to see from a certain perspective, right? Having a perspective is sort of the same thing as having a view. So it's inevitable that we're going to have a view. And sometimes it's called opinion. <laughs> you know, we have, we have an opinion. We have a, even a preference. Uh, and we have a lot of those opinions, even though we may not be aware of all the opinions that we have, they, they manifest. So we can't avoid having views and opinions. And sometimes those views and opinions become fixed because they seem to work for us. And, and our, our opinions and our views aren't challenged. Most of the time we can figure out how to advance those views and opinions 
usually by associating with people who have the same opinions and the same views as we do. So we, we tend to gravitate to those who share our opinions and views, and then they become fixed. And there's probably nothing horrible about having a fixed view, but holding to that fixed view is a whole other matter. Grabbing onto the fixed view and not letting it go when it's appropriate to let it go or when one comes up against a challenge to that view, which requires that we let it go. And sometimes we really, you might say, before we can let go of the views that we've developed through our conditioning from the moment that we're born, we are, we are educated, uh, some, some would say brainwashed into having certain views, certain opinions. <clears throat> In fact, probably most of us Looks like we lost them. Uh, oh. I think we're froze. Oh, here they are again. Should we go out and come in again? Uh, what? <laughs> What's happened? No. Okay, can we're we back. continue? We may continue. <laughs> okay. Oh, where was I? <laughs> okay. So these are views that we, they're kind of our baggage. Um, and, and sometimes they're subconscious. We don't, we don't even, and actually that's probably one of the uh, most harmful aspects of having a fixed view and holding to it is that we don't even know that we're holding to it. It's, we're not even aware of it. And I, I came up with this metaphor, um, and I don't know how many of you are aware of these coin changers. My dad used to drive a taxi cab in New York many years ago, may he rest in peace. Um, and he had this changer, these coin changers. Those of us who are in our 70s know, <laughs> they, know about this. Um, but, you know, uh, they are slots for their metal, 
and they have slots for pennies and nickels and dimes and quarters. And you could give people change, you know. And I guess there are these coin changers now uh, in banks and things where you stick your money in and it goes into the slots, right? So this is something the, of the way our opinions and fixed views operate. We're carrying around these slots, these penny, nickel, dime, and quarter. And I'm going to call these the four worldly dharmas, these slots. What's right and wrong? What's worthy and unworthy? What's pleasure and pain, what's pleasurable and painful? and what is right and wrong. There are many ways to formulate these worldly dharmas, but those are the worldly categories that we live by. And as we meet people and circumstances, they fall into these slots. You know, is this right or wrong? Is this pleasure or painful, pleasurable or painful? Is this worthy or unworthy? Is this a success or failure? It's, we're constantly putting our experiences and our connections into these slots. And that's a great way to feel like you're in control. <laughs> like you understand the world and uh, basically you've mastered life and you've got it all worked out. You know, it's, it's all falling into place uh, according to your view of the world or your views of the world. But sometimes, sometimes, actually, if you're lucky enough, although it doesn't seem as if this is luck, you're going to find a, what might be called a foreign coin, a coin that comes from France. And, and someone gives you the coin and you try to fit it into your slot, one of your slots, it doesn't fit. And what do we do? I know what, I, what I've done. I, I try to push it in. <laughs> I try to make it fit somehow. It's a Foreign coin, it doesn't fit into pennies, nickels, dimes, and quarters of the kind we have. It's a completely uncategorizable thing that has come to you and you don't know what to do with it. So of course, we, we try to make it fit. Or maybe we invent another slot that we can use so that we feel in control of it. So I'm going to share what creates suffering, what is unhealthy and unhelpful when this happens to us, when we approach the world with these fixed ideas. And this, I'm going to give you a personal example <clears throat> of what happens when we hold tight and we don't even know it. 
I have a daughter named Amy who grew up until the age of 20, 21, being sort of the all-American girl. You know, she just had boyfriends and uh, cheerleader and just just all the all the things that you would see as the perfect all-American girl. At age 20, 21, she asked if she could borrow my car and travel to San Francisco because she wanted to have a vacation <clears throat> and do a road trip one summer. Well, it turned out that she never came back. <laughs> she kept my car <laughs> and stayed in San Francisco <clears throat> and called me one evening and said, mom, I'm sleeping with a woman. That coin did not fit, <laughs> did not fit. Oh, okay, <laughs> well, what am I gonna do with that? Well, it took me a number of years of kind of working through that surprise uh, that my daughter was gay. And she was also not the American girl kind of gay. She was the butch kind of gay. <laughs> um, and so that was yet another, didn't fit. I would be okay if she was a feminine kind of gay, but no, she was a butch kind of gay. And I still thought that I was adjusting to this, except there came an occasion when um, a member of my family, a cousin, was getting married. And he happened to have become a born again Christian. And his whole family, the wedding party, were all born again Christians. And they were having this wedding. And my daughter decided she wanted to attend the wedding. I said, great, yeah. travel all the way from California to attend the wedding. And she arrived and we decide what we were gonna wear. And she took out the things that she was going to wear to the wedding. And it was a really nice cowboy shirt and work pants and a big leather belt and boots and a tie. Hmm. More coins that did not fit. <laughs> So what did mom do? Oh, yes, that's really very interesting, Amy. <laughs> A nice outfit, but I'm thinking born again Christians and how they are going to react to her appearance. And 
not really thinking about this for me, of course, it was about for her, how, how she was gonna be treated. And um, of course it was my problem as well, but I didn't think that it was. So I said, you know, Amy, why don't you, I took out this shirt that I had with that few ruffles on it, but it was still a male, it was a shirt. I said, you know, why don't you wear this uh, instead of the cowboy shirt? I think this is a little more dressy uh, for a wedding. And she said, okay, mom, uh, I will. And she did um, wear it. And I also said, you know, Amy, you probably, it'd probably be nice for you to have a little color in your face. How about just a little bit of lipstick? You know, just, just to give your lips a little bit of color. Okay, mom. You can see where this is going. Uh, so she was, I was kind of transforming her into something that fit my ideas of what would be a, a successful appearance, what, what family, what it meant to be family, that is you appeared in a certain way, you, you fulfilled a certain role. This was my fantasy, my fixed idea about what a family was and what a daughter should be. She should look a certain way. She should present herself uh, as, uh, and not talk about the fact that she was not, uh, did not have the kind of prestigious job that she grew up in to professors. No, she was a construction worker. She was a general contractor. Well, don't, don't, you don't have to tell anybody what you're doing, you know what. Okay, mom. So it all went from my point of view, very smoothly. I kind of tweaked everything so that she was fulfilling my, uh, my opinions and my fixed ideas about how she should be relative to this other group of people. So we got home after the wedding and she wouldn't talk to me. And she went out onto the porch and she sat there crying and went out. And I said, please, please tell me what's wrong. And she said, mom, eventually, after she was sobbing and sobbing and sobbing, she said, I traveled all the way from California knowing that I was going to be entering a born again Christian wedding and I was prepared to be who I was and you did not permit it. And I did this for you, but I am pissed. <laughs> I am really angry with you. Wow. 
What a teaching. And as I said, sometimes we really need to be broken before we let go of our fixed ideas. Holding, holding onto them and trying to get them manifest no matter what. I had this fixed idea of who my daughter should be, how she should behave, what she should say, what she shouldn't say. And I was uh, unaware of it. I was unaware of it. I was unaware of how she was suffering. All I cared about was stuffing that coin into the slot that I had set up. So again and again, my daughter has been my best teacher, breaking, breaking through those fixed, fixed ideas and holding to them. So not only are these fixed ideas placed upon our experience and people that we meet and people that we know, okay, you're this, you're that, you're that. When I've got, I've got you figured out. But they apply also to ourselves. We have fixed ideas about who we are. I'm the perfect mother. I'm the compassionate, wise mother. Or I'm basically an angry person. Or I am a, a person who's always volunteering for everything. You know, fixed ideas about who we are. I'm a strong woman. I'm a Dharma teacher. And because I'm a strong woman and Dharma teacher, I'm not permitted to be depressed. I'm not permitted to eat meat. <laughs> I, I, have to fall in, I have to fall into everybody's slot into what it means to be this person. And we get attached to that. Oh my God, I'm depressed. I shouldn't be depressed because I'm a Dharma teacher, right? <laughs> so I'm, I, am, I am imprisoned by my fixed ideas. I'm imprisoned by, I'm imprisoned within me and I'm al also imprisoned in terms of how I relate to the world and how I relate to other people. I just keep seeing them as the same, you know, this is, this is a person who is always bragging and is self-absorbed. Self and that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It keeps happening. And I, that's all I see right in those slots, right in those slots. But the only way that sometimes that's broken is some crisis or some, something that like what happened with my daughter that she, she was, she had rejected me. Uh, she was just, she wanted nothing to do with me. And my God, why not? Well, mom, 
you did not allow me to be myself. You didn't see me. All you saw was your fixed idea. So I suffered, she suffered. And probably the people in the wedding probably suffered too indirectly because they didn't get to meet my daughter. They didn't know her, they didn't meet her at all. They just met my, my image of her. So I want to end with, um, well, uh, this, this phrase um, that you can be right in your view. You can be right in fact. Like and I was right in fact that, that, that there was an issue there with uh, a, a gay person going into a born again Christian context. I was, you can be right in fact, but wrong in the Dharma. So your view can be factual, but it's more important that your view be wise and compassionate. That is, it's more important that you be right in the Dharma, in the teachings, than it is to be right in fact. And that's where we have to begin examining having views. Queen Elizabeth is being honored, right? And it occurred to me, why she had a 70 year reign and she was universally respected, uh, cared about, honored for all of this time. And I suspect one of the reasons, and they say she, she held, she held the un, a United Kingdom together in unity. I suspect that one of the reasons that she enjoyed such fame and honor and respect and care and love is that she did not express views. That was one of the features of royalty. You don't express views. The difference between having a view, I'm sure Queen Elizabeth had views, but she didn't express them. She didn't, she didn't uh, manifest them. And thus she didn't create division. As soon as you begin expressing your opinion, you've created dualities of those who don't have that opinion. So there's, there's a virtue to not holding, not expressing, not manifesting your opinions. And you can, you can become royalty. <laughs> this is what we call the noble, the noble eightfold path. It's noble because it doesn't promote division and, and adversarial relations or doesn't divide people up. 
into right view, wrong view, success, failure, all of that. 